Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 11 a.m. at the main campus. At 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. Welcome today. It's great to see each one of you here. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Isn't God awesome? And you know he's alive today. And because he's alive, he's here, he's present, he's in our midst. And what a joy to experience and feel the presence of God. And what a joy to come together again with the family of God. Take your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse number 19. And let's stand together this morning for the reading of God's word. I am excited about the word of God today. Trust you came with open hearts. And we're going to pray that God will have his will and way in this house this morning. John chapter 19, uh, 20 and verse number 19. And on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Father, right now we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word today. We thank you, God, today that the tomb is empty. We celebrate your resurrection. We celebrate your life that's now inside of us. We celebrate the forgiveness of sins that we have today. We thank you, God, because you're alive. You're here with us by your Holy Spirit. So do your work this morning. Speak to our hearts. And if there are some, God, who have not made yet that decision to, to serve you, to follow you, I pray the Holy Spirit will draw them this morning with your great love. We love you, God. and We give you praise and glory. We ask all this in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone and say, peace be with you. And then you may be seated. The door's locked. There's, there's deadbolts on the door. In fact, if, if you probably could imagine, they might even have one of those chairs propped up underneath the door because they're hiding for their life. They don't know what's going to happen to them. The same Roman soldiers that had just killed Jesus Christ may be after them. The Bible says they're in an upper room and they're, they're hiding there and it says for fear. And you have these 10 frightened disciples. Thomas is not there and Judas had already committed suicide. And so now there are 10 disciples. They're in this locked door. They are hiding there for their life. They are afraid of all the enemies of Jesus Christ and what might come upon them. And as they were hiding there in fear, maybe some were looking out the window, peeking to see what was going to happen. Some may have just stared at the floor. But all of them were looking inside of themselves. Because it was just a few hours earlier, they ran for their lives. And when they came to take Jesus Christ, the disciples took off. And they scattered. And they weren't there. And they left Jesus behind. And the only thing they carried with them back into that upper room was their memories. 
I, I can imagine what, when, when they saw a, a leper, they were, they were reminded of the compassion that Jesus Christ held when he stuck out his hands and he touched that leopard and he said, be made whole. And I imagine as they saw the lambs that had been brought in for the sacrifice at the Passover time, uh, they, they, they saw in their mind's eyes that blood-stained face of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and how he gave his life as the Lamb of God for us. And, and they ran. They ran in his greatest hour of need. They, they could not forget. And so they, they come back and they huddle together as one group, one fearful group, and they are there in that upper room. Now, as you look at these frightened disciples, you would hardly bet on them to be the ones that would turn the Roman Empire upside down. But the Bible said of these disciples, these are those who have turned the world upside down. What happened? What took place in their life that turned these fearful guys in an upper room into world changers? I want to talk about that. How do, how do we move in our own life? How do we move from that place of fear into faith? How do we make that transition? I want to give you three things today. And if you want to jot these down, they're on the back of your bulletins. You should find an outline right there. Number one, I think the, the main thing, one of the things that, that turned their fear into faith was his presence. His presence. There's something about the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that changes everything. His presence. He walks into the room and he says, peace be with you. And I can imagine as they heard those words, they recognized the voice and every one of them, their heads may have been down, but they lift up their eyes, their heads, and their eyes turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and I can imagine someone glancing over at the door and they say, it's still locked. Who let him in? Where did he come from? How did he, how'd he get in this room? And, and the doors still lock. You see, the stone at the head of the tomb could not keep Jesus Christ in, uh, and a locked door could not keep Jesus Christ out. I want to tell you, he goes where he wants to go. It, it, it's going to be so cool when we get our glorified bodies. I'm going to have just a ball, just jumping through rooms and in and out of rooms and saying, boo, I'm here. And that's kind of what Jesus Christ did. And this was no casual visit. This was no get acquainted time. This was the assurance that now Jesus Christ was alive and he would be at the center of their lives and he would be with them forever. Isn't that incredible? There's something about the presence of God that brings his peace. Peace. The first words he said were shalom. And it literally means peace. It was their traditional greeting. And he says, shalom, peace be with you. Now, now if it, if it might have been me, might have been one of us, we might have jumped on those disciples. We might have scolded them. We might have said, you sissies, why did you run? When I needed you, you weren't there. You just took off. You just disappeared. Or maybe he'd come back and say, I told you so. I told you guys, I warned you, you were going to bail out on me. He didn't demand an explanation. Uh, he didn't say, where were you when I needed you? He didn't give them some kind of speech that he had prepared. Uh, but all he does is simply offers up his peace. Peace I give to you, my peace. Having put away sins once and for all when he 
gave his life on the cross. And when he came out of that tomb on the third day, now he can begin to put away their fear. And the fear is replaced by his presence. God's with us today. Isn't that great news? He's still alive. He's with us today. He's, he's here. He's in our midst. He's in our hearts. He's, he's in our lives. God is with us. You see, our faith, the faith of every single child of God, is built on a solid foundation. And that foundation is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this day, this belief, this doctrine is the basis of everything we hang our faith on, that the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, that tells me Christ is with me. It is the basis of our foundation. There's a couple proofs of the resurrection. I just want to give them to you very quickly. The first is simply this. The tomb is empty. You still can't find his body. You can find bodies of other religious leaders that have died along the way, but but the one that is empty is the dad of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there have been attempts to try to disprove the resurrection all throughout history, modern Thinking and belief says we, we can't believe that someone literally was dead for three days and then rose from the dead. And so they try to disprove it. And one of the theories is called the swoon theory. The swoon theory says that basically Jesus Christ didn't really die on the cross. And that somehow they took his body off and when they laid it in the tomb, in the coolness of the tomb, uh, somehow life came back into his, uh, he never really died and so he revived. He, he kind of woke up from his slumber or his sleep and, and then he walked out of the tomb. Listen, those who would believe the swoon theory don't know anything about Roman execution. No one ever came off a cross alive. It killed every one of its victims. And in fact, the cross was such a terrible punishment and a final execution that, that often to hasten the death of the person hanging on the cross, they would break the legs of the victims so that that victim could no longer push off and therefore suffocation would set in and death could come a little bit more rapidly. And sometimes they could hang on the cross for as many as two to, to three days. Jesus Christ was only on the cross for six hours. And when they got to him, he had already died. And the Roman soldiers knew very well death had come. And so they, they stuck a spear up in beside his, in, inside his rib cage up into his heart. And the Bible says out of his side flowed blood and water. All that fluid that he gathered around his heart, it comes rushing out when they put that spear in there. For those who would believe the swoon theory, they don't understand anything about Roman beatings. Jesus Christ, when they, before they crucified and they took a whip, it was a cat of nine tails. It had stones or sharp metal objects on the end of those whips. And when they would lay it to his body, they would pull it back and literally filleted his body and opened up all the flesh. And he had so much incredible blood loss. And for those who would subscribe to this swoon theory, they don't understand anything about large stones and Roman soldiers. The Bible said there was a large stone, a very large stone, one of the gospel writers says, and they put a Roman garrison, a Roman garrison outside of that stone so no one could come along and steal the body. And so to think that someone who had lost all that blood, who had hung on the cross, could somehow revive is more incredulous than to think that Jesus Christ could come in and God could breathe on him life again and he could walk out of that tomb triumphant. Then there are some say, well, you know, the disciples came along and they stole the body. 
Can you imagine this picture we have of these fearful disciples hiding behind locked doors in fear for their life, uh, that they could have come uh, and overcome a Roman army stationed outside of that tomb uh, and rolled away the stone uh, and stole the body? And yet even if they had stolen the body, history tells us that 10 of these disciples would lay down their life, they would be killed for the gospel, and all the way to their graves, uh, they would go declaring that Jesus Christ is alive. Listen, there's been martyrs, there's been people who have died for their beliefs and their faith all throughout history, but who would die for a known lie? There's no way these disciples could have taken the body. And some might say, well, the Romans took the body out and they moved it and and they did this. Listen, when the disciples are turning the world upside down, when this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and lives are being changed uh, and, and, and they're trying to shut them up and stop this movement, all they had to do was produce the body and say, here he is, but the body's gone. Uh, and who steals the body and lays the, leaves the grave clothes uh, lying folded uh, neatly at the head of the tomb? Got to tell you, Jesus Christ is alive. There's proof, there's evidence, uh, but I know he's alive because he lives inside of me. Then you have all the testimonies. The Bible says after his resurrection, he appeared to 500 disciples that on two different occasions he appeared to 500 he he appeared on many occasions to his disciples to his followers and and for 40 days and 40 nights he taught them things concerning the kingdom of god what is it that transforms these fearful scared disciples and takes them from fear into faith. Uh, They encountered the risen Lord. uh, And I've got good news for you today. Uh, When you encounter the risen Lord, uh, when you invite him to come into your life, uh, when you experience his presence, uh, he will take you from fear into faith as well. Our faith is based on the solid foundation. We finally discover God's perfect peace in our lives. He changes our lives. He, He transforms us and he turns it into faith. I got to tell you today, you're not going to encounter him in the flesh. The disciples had the privilege of seeing him after he had been raised from the dead. We will not see him with our natural eyes. We only see him through the spirit. Now, Thomas wasn't there when he first appeared to these 10 disciples. And the Bible says a week later, Thomas was also in the room with them. And so Jesus Christ makes a command performance for Thomas. And Thomas had said, unless I see him, unless I touch his hands and, and see his side, and unless I touch the Lord Jesus Christ and, and feel the nail prints, I, I won't believe. And so for Thomas, Jesus Christ comes back again and appears in that same upper room. And Jesus says, my Lord and my God, because he sees him for himself. But listen to what the word of God says. Jump down to verse number 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's all of us. We are in that blessed group. When Christ comes in, everything changes. Because he's alive, we can have his presence today. Now, because of his presence, that also comes with his peace. And if you look at verse number 21, he says again, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He says it a a second time within a matter of a few moments. And he says, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, 
peace be with you. The, the first time he says, peace be with you, he, he shows them his hands this side. He shows them his scars. He shows them his wounds. Listen, we have peace with God because of the atonement. The atonement is simply God taking our place. God covering our sin. God paying the price and the penalty for our sins that we have committed. And so he makes atonement for us. And because of his atonement, we are forgiven. And because we are forgiven, I have his peace. And so the first piece is tied to the atonement of God. See my hands, see my side. The basis of all our peace is found in a person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. He rose again in victory. And now he lives to make intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. And so that atonement is the basis for my peace. Isn't it good to know you stand right with God today? That, that alienation that has been there because of our sin is, is now we've been restored to, to God and his favor and we have his favor in our lives and his blessing and his, and his peace. The wounds were his credentials. He says he shows them his hands and his side. These are the credentials. This is his calling card. And he, and he enters the room and he says, see my hands and, and see my side peace be unto you. What he's saying is, I am qualified to minister to your hurts and to minister to your pain. And I know what you're going through today. See my hands and see my side. I know exactly what you feel. His credentials. Then the Bible says, and they, then the disciples were glad when they had seen the Lord. Uh, All the fears have gone. Now this hope is being renewed inside of them. But notice the order. First comes the peace and then comes the joy. The peace comes as a result of his hands and his side. It comes as a result of our justification or our atonement. Uh, The joy comes because now God is in their midst. Joy is a result of our fellowship with God. Our peace comes because of what Christ has done for us. My sins are gone. But the joy comes at his right hand. And in his presence is joy forevermore. So it begins with joy. It begins with peace. And then that gives way to joy because now Christ is with them. He is in their midst. Now notice the circumstances have not changed. The doors are still locked. The enemy is still out there. Their lives are still in jeopardy. Uh, The death threat is still hanging over their heads. Uh, But as long as Jesus is with them, uh, they can rise above their circumstances. Uh, I want to tell you, the circumstances may be tough where you're at today and what you're going through today. uh, But with Christ, uh, he gives you that joy to rise above your circumstances because he's with us. And he's, he's with me. I can make it through anything. And so there's this peace that comes because of what Christ did. But there's also peace for the mission because he goes on to say the second time he uses that phrase, peace with you. He says, if the Father has sent me, I'm sending you out. I want you to notice something. That that must have given the disciples incredible joy because the last time they were with Christ, they ran for their lives. They've scattered everywhere. And and probably if I had done that or had disciples who have done that, I'd say, you know, can't use you guys anymore. I'm done with you. You had your chance. But in spite of their failures, uh, they had forsaken the Lord. Now he is sending them out as his representatives. And with that, they would need his peace. 
They would need his peace to face a hostile world that would come against them, that would, would try to destroy them. Now, remember two times he said peace. The first time he says peace, it regards their position in Christ Jesus. See my hand, see my side. Romans 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have the peace of God with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But peace also comes with communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, so send I you. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of, the, of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So there's the peace of the atonement, but there's that peace that goes with every child of God as we go out and serve him. And he says, I'm sending you. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse number 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And look what he says, this last promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He sends his disciples on this great mission to reach the nations. But he leaves with them a promise. You're not going alone. Isn't it good to know as we move out and we serve others and we love others and we reach out and share the good news and we're bold for the Lord and we declare that Christ is risen indeed, uh, there's a promise that Christ will go with us. And if Christ will go with us, then I have his peace. You see, when, when the Lord says, peace be with you, that peace was never meant to be kept inside. It's to give it to other people as well and to share that they can be made right with God and they can be reconciled to God and they can have peace with their heavenly father and bring the message that Jesus Christ died and he rose again so we might have peace with God. So this fear they had is changing to faith because of his presence, because of his peace, and last, because of his power. His power. Look at verse Number 22 of this passage that I read to you earlier. Verse 22. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, too often the church today, listen to me. I'm speaking to the church. Is paralyzed in fear, hiding in an upper room. And it may not be an upper room, it's in these walls. And we come to faith assembly and we feel safe. And we feel secure. And everything's okay when I'm around my Christians. But then when I go to work on Monday or I go to my school classrooms on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all of a sudden uh, we tighten up because of fear. Fear of what people might say or, or think or do or we might be ostracized or left out. You see, we have enough religion to come together but not enough passion to go out. He says, I'm just as, as God sent me, I'm sending you out. And you know what? I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to give you my peace. And I'm going to give you my power. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just as God breathed on him and anointed him with the power of the Holy Spirit and sent Christ out. We are sent like the Father sent the Son. Now, how was the Son sent out? 
The son was sent out under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit comes on him and descends on him in the form of a dove. I want to tell you, there is an anointing that God has for every single one of us for service and ministry. There's a, he, the Bible says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a play on words here that the writer John is using. He breathed on them. The word for breath is the same word for spirit. It's the same word you find in Genesis 2 and verse 7 when it says, And the God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So here's what happens. The sacrifice has been made. Christ is alive, and he breathes on them, and now they are his new creation. Just like he made Adam uh, that first man and he breathed on him and he became a living soul. Now Jesus Christ breathes on his disciples uh, and they are his new creation. Uh, The price has been paid. Uh, They are his church. He says receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God gives us the Holy Spirit testifying that now we are the children of God. Uh, Now we are the sons of the Lord and my dead spirit. You see, you may be walking around, you may be alive, you may be breathing, uh, but if you haven't invited Christ to come into your heart, the Bible says your spirit man is dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, But there comes that moment Christ uh, breathes on you and your spirit is made alive again. And he, you are joined to his family. Breathe on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he says, whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And I'll forgive your sins. And he ties in the whole forgiveness thing. So he breathed on them. But it's also a foretaste of something that would occur 40 days later. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And they would be in an upper room. Or excuse me, 50 days later. And that day of Pentecost would come. And they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they would receive his power to be their witnesses. Uh, And they would go forth under the anointing uh, of the Holy Spirit of God. With the good news that Jesus Christ can forgive. Breathe on them. Wherever the breath of the risen Lord goes, forgiveness follows. The resurrection is more than a doctrinal belief. The resurrection tells me there's power to live for him today. Because I have his presence. I have his peace. I have his power. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. He talks about that resurrection power. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints. How many know that? How many have that resurrection? You know the inheritance we have, the riches we have in Christ Jesus. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he tells us where that power comes from. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That same 
power that blew across that tomb on that third day and Christ came walking out and the stone was rolled away and 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 then the Roman guards fall on the ground. That same power that blew through that tomb is able to blow through our lives today. That same breath of God. That's the power. Power to live, power to serve, power to follow. Listen, God is able today. He has the power to redeem your past. All those negative things that have happened to you, uh, all those things in your life, it's not God's fault. We got ourselves in that mess because God gave man a choice and it's called sin and we have blown it. But, but in Christ Jesus, all the past is gone. You may have incurred a devastating loss in your life, but I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, there's power to live and follow and serve him. There's power today. Because of the cross and resurrection, you can come to Jesus Christ. And and the Bible says in him, his mercies are new every morning. Uh, There is power to break every habit. There is power to break every addiction. Uh, There is power, God's word. There's transforming power in his word. Power. Can you imagine all the hosts of Satan are surrounding that tomb? They're guarding that tomb. And they think they've won a great victory. And I can imagine there's a party going on in the demonic realms. Uh, But the righteous hand of Almighty God comes down. uh, And the breath of God comes down. And and he blows across that tomb. uh, And he says that same power uh, that blew in that tomb, uh, that that crashed through the forces of darkness, uh, is able to breathe into your life today. I don't care how dark and hopeless things may be, uh, but there is resurrection power available today. He's able to forgive and cleanse. He hears. He knows what you're going through. He's experienced every experience, uh, and he knows how to rescue your soul and, and snatch it out of the jaws of death. Power. This morning, I want us to remember that who who is dead is now alive and the guilty have been forgiven and cleansed. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and I want to end with this verse today, this thought today. Paul's talking to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, and he begs Timothy, don't forget. Don't forget that Christ who is dead is now alive. Don't forget. And the same would be true for us today. Never, ever forget. And, and, and Paul, it's amazing, he writes this letter in the earshot. They're, they're sharpening the axe. He's about to have his head chopped off. And he writes back to Timothy, this second letter, and he says, Don't forget, Timothy. Above everything else, don't forget. Let me read the words to you. Second Timothy chapter 2. Verse number 18. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead. Descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. 
If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Remember, remember Christ died and rose from the dead. Uh, Listen, when times get hard, uh, remember Jesus. Uh, Remember he's alive today. Uh, When people don't listen to you, remember Jesus has been raised from the dead. Uh, When the tears come uh, and they're flowing down your face, uh, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Uh, When disappointment uh, is is your bed partner, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Uh, When fear pitches his tent outside of your door, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Uh, When shame weighs heavily in upon you remember jesus christ raised from the dead and when death looms remember jesus christ raised from the dead he's alive today i want you to listen to a testimony of a man in this church that was saved last easter take a look my life before christ was really uh you know growing up um you know, we didn't put a whole lot of emphasis on church. Uh, but if you had asked me, I would have told you I was a Christian. I would have told you I was a nice guy. Um, you know, a lot of things. I never struggled with some of those things that, that people talk about struggling with, you know, uh, with addictions and things of that nature. But I was a very angry person. Uh, I was very unforgiving. Uh, I was very hateful towards people. If my wife made me angry, um, you know, I would go days, weeks without talking to this woman that I loved with all of my heart. That's how much hatred that I would get inside of me. Uh, but again, if you'd asked me, I, I told you I was a Christian. I was a nice guy. Um, even if we were involved in church, I was you know, never opened the Bible. Uh, and that's kind of how the road we were going down is that you know, we didn't put an importance on it. And, and so there was a, a feeling of fear in my life. I can remember I would, you know, wake up and wow. 40 years old, I'm going to be dying in the next, you know, 30 years, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, and there was this, always this constant fear about that. And then God brought this crazy Christian family into our lives, as I like to call them. And it was Easter of 2012. They asked us if uh, we would like to join them for church, and they were uh, members here at the uh, Faith Assembly of God, and, and so we we decided that, that, you know, it had been a while since we'd been in church. Going through the sermon, you know, we were sitting in the balcony and, and listening to the pastor. I remember I was standing up there and, uh, you know, I bowed my head and I, I prayed to God. I asked him, sorry, <laughs> you know, I asked him to, to forgive me for the way that I was, uh, for the anger that I had in me, the, the hatred and the, and the unforgiving. I mean, I was so mean to people. I was so mean to my wife and to my family, yelling and, and screaming all the time. And it was just feeling, you know, he just, he took the, the hatred away from me immediately. And, and that's really how my relationship with Christ uh, began. Um, you know, it, it's brought my, my family closer uh, to God. Uh, and we're actually, you know, those people, uh, that crazy Christian family now, uh, because all we do is talk about God and and how he's made changes in our lives. Chris, 
Chris is celebrating his one-year birthday in Christ Jesus. Chris, stand up. Give Chris a hand today. Isn't that exciting? It's amazing what the power of God can do. He has God's presence. He has God's peace. And he has God's power. It's incredible what the risen Lord can do. Remember, remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your power today. Power to change lives. Power to bring your peace. God, there's hurting people here today. There's some here today who do not know you, Lord. I pray this morning they'll find you as Lord and Savior of their life. Pray that you'll change them, God. Transform them. I thank you, God, that that same spirit that breathed on that tomb is able to breathe life into them today. Touch, I pray, by your spirit. Listen, every head is bowed, every eye closed. We're gonna, just going to pray for you together this morning. If you don't know Christ, today's the day of a great day of salvation. This can be the start of your new life, just like last Easter. Chris gave his heart to the Lord. You can do that today. You're here and you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven, but you want to be sure that Christ is the Lord of your life today. He's your Savior. I want you to raise your hand right now, just all over this building, very quickly. I won't embarrass you in any way. We just want to pray for you today. Just acknowledge that by raising your hand all over the building. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. God bless you. You may slip your hand down. Is there somebody else? You'd say, pray for me. Yes, I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All over this building, you'd say, yes, God bless you. You may slip your hand down. Is there somebody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just raise a hand and say, pray for me. I need the Lord in my life. Is there someone you say, I need Jesus. Just slip your hand up that we might pray for you today. God bless you. Thank you so much. I see your hand in the back. God bless you. You may slip it down. Is there somebody else you'd say, pray for me. I, I need God in my life. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.